the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, well, folks, welcome to another B- BTP Football CFB production. I'm joined with my regular co-host, Derek Callum, and I am absolutely honoured to be joined here with the fantastic Dan Ferguson, of course. Self, the current Peterborough manager and the son of an absolute legend, someone who you'll know that uh, I've idolised over the years, his father, Sir Alex Ferguson. Absolutely honoured to have him on the show. Dan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Doing good, mate, doing good. Uh, before we get into your life, your career and everything, um, let me ask you about Peterborough, of course, your current Peterborough manager, a, a club you took up from uh, League 2, League 1, up to the Championship. It's great to see you back there. I know Darrell, great guy. Also, um, they've voted to end League 1. Uh, how do you feel about what has happened in the last week where they voted to end League 1? Well, it's obviously disappointing the way it's ended, you know, given where we were in the league, given the fixtures we had left. And also, even the run we were on, we'd won seven out of nine games. We were the full team in the league, and we really fancied our chances to get into the top two. You know, uh, so it's disappointing. Uh, the way it's been handled has been very poor, to say the least. There's been no leadership from the football league. And as soon as they made a the decision that every league and every club could make the decision uh, for themselves, it was always going to be a problem. But you know what? Phil, we have to abide by it. We have to get on with it. We have to start planning for next season. There's a problem with that as well because we, we don't even know when that's going to be. So it is disappointing yeah. for everyone. You know, it's the first time really in about eight years the club have really felt that we could get back into the championship. Can I just quickly ask that? And on on Peterborough, um, you've had a few spells at the club. What is it about you and Peterborough that seems like a really good fit? Because the fans absolutely love you. I don't know. It's, well, it was my first job uh, 14 years ago, and, and it went very well. I get on very well with Dara, the chairman. The, the, the most important relationship in the club's a manager and the chairman, and we get on great. Even though he sacked me twice, <laughs> we still get on great. <laughs> you know? And uh, it, you know, and the, the opportunity to come back the third time was initially uh, just just to fill the, the void that, that when Steve Evans left to the end of the season. But I had to get the feel for the other owners as well because now it's a little bit different because there's three owners now. So. Uh, but it all went fine and they're great as well very supportive but I think it's the most important thing is the relationship between me and Dara it's fantastic and it's always a club that's got a chance of getting in the championship you know they'll always have a go uh, hence why we felt we had a good chance this season I was talking to Alex McLeish yesterday as you say, as we were saying to you and it was interesting to hear what his commentary was on being a manager and it sounds like he was tired of it is it a drug for you Darren is it hard for you to be to be anything else in life because obviously it's in your blood of course um, but it's such a punishing job uh, is it is is this the only thing you want to do with your life I love it <laughs> I, I need it you know I'm, I'm, it's lockdown driving mental <laughs> as, uh, as it is everyone else but no it's I, I love it I love the job I love going every day and I love working with the players and doing all the different things you need to do as a manager Um I think during it, you know, because even though I'm only, I think, relatively young, 48, I've done 14 years, over 600 games now. Yeah. So I think in that spell, I've had a couple of breaks, whether it be when I was at Doncaster and left, I, I, I took a break out myself. That was my own choice. 
you know, my father was ill and stuff. But mm-hmm. you, you, you have to make most of the breaks that you get uh, when you get them so you can re-energise and go again. And Because it is relentless. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing like it, really, because one minute you're, you're on a, a high and you've won a game, and the next minute you're lost and you're the worst team in the world and worst yeah. manager. So mentally you need to you need to be very, very strong to cope with all those different things. When when you went into management, you mentioned the fact you've been in it now for, for 14 years, which is absolutely fantastic and, and well done for the, those achievements so far. Was Thanks. Were there any added nerves at all, Darren, because of the surname that you have? Obviously, that carries so much weight in the game of football, and so it should. But was there any added pressure in your part, obviously, being known as Sir Alex's son, being a manager? I think there was. I think I don't think it affected me because you know the easiest thing to do would be well, the, the hardest thing to do would be to go into the management. But I made that decision very early in my playing career. At 28, I started taking my badges. I thought I might have a chance of getting the Wrexham job when it came up, uh, but a week later I had the Peterborough job, so it's worked out well. Um, but I did feel that my first job I had to get right, given my name, and I felt I felt that given the nature of my background, I thought I've got to make sure I'm a success in my first job and unfortunately it went very well you know. When I hear your dad speak about the things that made him successful one of the things that he often talked about was the family values the values that he grew up with, obviously growing up and governing in a shipyard did he instill the same values in you Darren, that has been the foundation of your own success in life, what were the values that he emphasised at home? He was never at home it was my mother that brought us up (laughs) my mother and my father are the same they both come from uh, working backgrounds my dad's from government, my mum's from the Gorbals so uh, the way they've been brought up they brought us exactly the same way you know, good work ethic uh, good values, good morals uh, we like to think we've got and the biggest thing is me and my two brothers we've got a very good work ethic whatever we, we try and earn we have to work for and and that's gone all the way through. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. And always, for me as a manager, the experience and the advice my dad's always be honest with the players. You know, you're going to fall out with them. They're going to they're going to be annoyed with you, the decisions you make. But I think, and that is definitely what, if you're honest with the players, they'll always respect you for it, whether they like the decision you make or not. And that's one thing I've always taken through my whole management career. In terms of your parents we all idolise our parents especially when we're really young where was the first time that you realised your dad was slightly different to, to maybe your friends um, dads because obviously such a high profile character within football well I was very young when he was in St Murray and, and that so it was Aberdeen really I moved there when I was five and you know at that age you, you don't really know what's going on do you but then you get to you know when you're at school and, and Aberdeen started been successful and you start getting around the teenage years and you start thinking wow we're all really into the football so it's probably then that I started realising that you know he's pretty good at what he does and he made Aberdeen unbelievably successful and it was when you go to school and there's also things I've I've been quite lucky in many ways that you know there's been times when he's not had such a good run I remember you know I only did one year at school in Manchester and you know it can be difficult because yeah. you know you know what it's like with kids and stuff but it, it was it, that was probably then when when he went to Aberdeen and started really being successful with them was probably when I started noticing it you know 
Let me ask you about when you were a player, because you were at Manchester United, and I've talked to other, um, I've talked to Jordi Cruyff, I've talked to lots of other people who have had very famous fathers. Not all of them liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like for you to be United when your father's the boss? Because sometimes when you're in that situation, your father overcompensates to prove there is no favouritism and you can actually be treated worse than everybody else. Was it hard for you to be United when your dad was the boss? Yeah, it was difficult. I found it tough. There was no nepotism, that, that's for sure. Yeah, I found it really tough. I, I think, looking back now, it, it was. Uh, I recall when I'd been at Forest and Tottenham, and I was about to sign for Forest, and and I actually got called up to go and play for Scotland. So the day I, I got called up, I was meant to go in and sign for Forest. And at the time, they were developing and producing a lot of young players. Brian Clough as a manager, and then I got. I went. I had to go to Manchester and fly to Belfast. Anyway, came back from Belfast, and when I came back, my dad said, "Look." we want to sign you I remember it I can visualise it now and mm-hmm. I can tell he was quite hesitant but his coaches you know because at that time I was playing for United's B team and A team mm-hmm. and his coaches were like we've got to sign Darren we've got to sign him but, but looking back even though you can't turn down my United of course. You, just, you just can't you know And but looking back I, I probably think I don't know if it was the right thing to do because I found it really tough and you got to remember when I was an apprentice at United my dad didn't have the the success then. He hadn't got the power that he has. That he eventually got. Yeah. Um, he was under a lot of pressure. If you, 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 you know, you remember. So yeah. it was tough for both of us. I think. And I, I wasn't. I knew because I lived with him. I knew how much pressure he was under. And for me to be, because he, he was leaving me out in games when he shouldn't have been leaving me out. And he, and he would admit that himself. One or two in particular. But you know, it was tough. The relationship wasn't wasn't what it is a normal father-son relationship it just and I've spoke to other people like Gavin Strachan's my assistant manager his dad's Gordon yeah. he was the same he played for him and it just doesn't become a, a father-son relationship it's just a working one which yeah, I suppose it has to be in a way you, you mentioned that relationship changes when your father is managing you in terms of talking football would you strictly do that in and around the training ground in the United environment or would those conversations spill into home life as well no, not really. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've had a game with the reserves. The first team when we went home, and if, at the time I was in the first team, I was probably I was out of the house by then. But you know, younger, we would maybe I'd go home with them and stuff, and you'd have a go you in the car. You know, you thought you played well, like that, you know. It's just, it's just normal. It's just normal. It, you know, it, it's it's just the way it is. Uh, but it was difficult. I have to say, it was very difficult because. And, and the main thing about it is I have to be realistic and I wasn't good enough to stay you know, that's 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 a fact you mm. know when they bought Keane and had like I was never going to play enough football and then the bottom line was the way United was going I was never going to compete with that and that's just that's just a, 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 the reality of it really You are of course your own man you are you've achieved success in your own right and you deserve to be viewed not just as the son of Alex Ferguson you've done a, a terrific job yourself what is it? What is, what's your dream job down in football? What is it? If you could pick one job you'd love to go to, you'd love to do. What would that be? I just love to work in the top as high as I could. You know, I don't think I've worked in the championship long enough. I feel like I should have. Certainly, I don't think I have. But you want to get the job in the Premiership, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, if it's a dream job, if I want to go out to Man United, of course you would. But yeah. it's uh, you know, uh, you just want to get a job in the Premiership but it's becoming more and more difficult for British managers um, to get a job in the Premiership really the way in for most 
but I think there's Eddie Howe, Son Dyche, I don't know how many more, well, obviously Chris Wilder. I think the way in for British managers to the Premiership is to go through the Championship and get promoted. You know, I think it is becoming more difficult. Being a, a, a fellow Scot, Darren, I'm interested to ask you, and I, I'm not trying to put you in a spot to name potential clubs or anything like that, have you ever had the opportunity to manage in Scotland in long term? Would you ever consider it? I've not, I never had the opportunity. No, never have. Um, I would I would consider it. There's a lot of big clubs in Scotland. Um, so, yeah, I would have to say I would consider it. I mean, straight away you can name five, straight off Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs and Aberdeen. Five big big clubs, you know. Um, so yeah, you would have to consider it, but it's never—it's something that's never come up. I, I must admit. Don, I want to ask you about the future of football, of course, because the financial aspect of this, with this fallout, is extremely concerning, and um, <clears throat> lower league clubs, of course, are going to find this difficult. Um, going forward, are you going to be able to? Are, are big clubs going to help you get loans? Or is there, has there been any discussion from the, the football association about perhaps giving you some financial assistance for Peterborough? Uh, are you are you going to be able to to bring players in this summer? Well, the, I have I have got concerns for moving forward with the, the lower leagues, and you know, look, the pandemic is is, is unforeseen circumstances, you know. And every industry and every business is going to be affected. There's no question about that. And football's no different. Where I felt we've not helped ourselves, or certainly the Football League have not helped the lower league clubs, is, is by one taking so long. And also, the, we don't even know what cash reserve they've got. Yeah. You know, there is a 250 million hole. They've said that themselves. You can double that because you've got this season, next season, and the following season. So there's a half a billion that needs to be come from somewhere. So my concern is the government can't give you half a million, half a billion. Other people need it more. And also when you've got the Premiership, they could give it. The Premiership, I think, can give it, but they're going to have to wait until the season's finished in case there's a second wave when obviously they won't get the TV money. But I think there's a problem with it because we don't know what the Football League are doing. We don't know We don't know what their plans are. We don't know. They didn't give us any financial implications of regarding the testing. So we've not really had any help. So, you know, the other thing is, a lot of clubs, I think, have decided to call the season because there's no crowds. Right. There's no revenue for the lower league clubs, which we obviously depend on. There's not going to be any crowds in September. Yeah. There's not, I don't think there's going to be any difference. So if the government says, there's no crowds till January, do we then have a vote saying that there's no football till January? Because if that's the case, clubs are going out of business. There's no question about it. So I'm concerned. And more, I got to the point where I kind of knew we weren't going to get in the playoffs. So I started thinking about next season and start having these meetings with the LMA and the managers and my points were, look, what are we going to do about next season? We need questions answered on that. We get no answers. So my concern is that if there's no crowds, are clubs then going to decide that they can't continue? Yeah. I'm worried. I'm worried for yeah. the lower league clubs. And it, it looks a little bit like it could be a bit more, it could be Premiership and that Premiership be is where I'm thinking it could be going you know I sincerely hope not <clears throat> that is a, a, that would be a massive change in terms of the structure of football as we know it and, and in terms of clubs like Peterborough and other clubs in the EFL that would affect them in a negative manner as you've said in terms of behind closed doors with the Premier League I know that the testing costs a lot of money is there any way at all that can become feasible for League One and League Two to to get back for a new season whenever that is, or do you think that's going to be out of reach? Well, I don't, there's no way 
at camp that the, the League One and the League Two clubs can can afford to do the testing themselves. That was one of the main things why clubs wanted to call the season. And there was no nothing put forward to us about um, the Football League getting a loan to be able to pay for the testing. The PFA have got forty million in the bank. They've got nothing. They've they've got fourteen hundred clients out of work at the end of June. Nothing from them to say, look, we'll pay for the testing. I think the hope is the Premiership bail is out. I think that can be the only hope. Um, but I, I do believe there was a possibility of the money being there for the Football League, but they didn't take it. So I don't know what's going to happen. But there's no way that clubs can afford testing. Yeah. I mean, what, and the other thing is, we don't know about the testing. You know, do if we go back, say the season starts middle of September, and we so I'll, I'll say right, we'll do an eight-week pre-season, a bit longer than normal because we've been off for so long. Yeah. We go back in the middle of July. We don't know if we have to test our players. Yeah, we've no idea. That's or, true. Or who pays for them? It's, it's hard. Yeah. What is the attitude of the players, Darren? Are they are they wanting to come back? Some, obviously, we hear some players don't want to take the risk. Is the attitude of the players like ubiquitously? Let's all go back where everyone wants to go back to work. Players, my players have been magnificent. Mm-hmm. Model perfect. They're absolutely magnificent. I mean, they're a great bunch. We had a video call the other day when the season got called. And I thanked them for all their efforts. We showed them a video of all the good stuff in the season because they have had a good season. There's no doubt about it. We were right on track for where we wanted to be, but they've been fantastic. Every call I had, I phoned them up all individually to thank them, and they all, they all were like, "When are we back? We need to get back." They're ready to go. They're ready to go. But they're a good bunch. They've been great. They really have. We spoke to a Portuguese football expert. Um, the, earlier this week and he was talking about the need for clubs in Portugal even some of the bigger clubs to have to, to sell their players is that also a concern for, for you at Peterborough and other EFL League 1 and League 2 clubs that if football is parked for several months you may have to sell your best players such as Ivan Tony. Well we'll definitely have to sell Ivan Tony. I'm, I'm probably luckier than most managers in that that's our sort of get out of jail card in terms of we think we'll get a lot of money for Ivan. I mean, the money, the numbers being talked before the virus was, were, were big, big numbers. I mean, probably the biggest numbers you could get for a League One player. We don't know if the market's, what's going to happen with that, obviously. It may be devalued like everyone else because of the virus. So we're still hoping to get millions for them. And if we do, then I'll probably be able to keep the rest of my squad. But certainly, most clubs will have to sell players or... Um, make cuts somehow with staff. I've had to do the same this week with some of my staff. Um, and they're now talking about salary caps, which I think cannot happen. There's no way you can have it. How, how can you have a salary cap when the revenue Sunderland get from one game yeah. and the revenue some other teams get from... You can't, you can't have a salary. It's totally unfair. Yeah. I completely agree. That's my opinion, anyway. Darren, <clears throat> there's a million questions I want to ask you. And I... I, I uh... I don't want to be too. I don't want to take up too much of your time. For, I, do, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this and chat with us today. I also, no, that's fine. I'm fine. I also right. want to say thank you for your service to United and, of course, for everything that your father did for me and my childhood and my life. Being a Manchester United fanatic, uh, he has given us some tremendous I'll times. Thank you so much. Please do. Darren, we wish you all the best for the season, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this, and I'd love to get you back sometime. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Enjoy it. Take care. Thanks Cheers. a lot. Thanks, man. All the best. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Thanks.